Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asking me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Ryder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I went away, away. But, um, yeah, Temple University, and it was a great film school. I was going to be a doctor, and I quit pre-med because I, I couldn't do chemistry or math. I'm too dumb right. at numbers. But I was a people person, and I loved film. I'd been making 8 millimeter. Now you're using your phone. But I would make, you know, student movies. And the movie I made at Temple University, I won a Student Academy Award. And the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences flew me to L.A. and I met Steven Spielberg and wow. Koch, who was the head of the Academy at the time. All these amazing people in my life that I still know some today. And um, I, Matt Stone had won one. Spike Lee had won one. Uh, John Lasseter, Pixar, wow. had won one. So I met all these people and they were there. And I was 21 years old. It was pretty amazing. I was an 11-minute serious documentary about my nephew who had his face reconstructed. Not screwing around. That's yeah. the truth. And he was uh, seven years old when he had it done. And so that's, uh, tell me that's a long-ass answer. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, I didn't know you started out uh, that early, at least, you know, getting one of your films in school selected uh, in order to win that trip. And then, of course, you've, you've done a ton on both the stand-up side and the film side. And I know we don't have a ton of time, so I kind of wanted to pick your brain about one specific thing. And obviously, you've done Full House. You've done uh, Amer America's Home Videos. You've done a ton of films, a ton 
ton of uh, stand-up stuff as well, a ton of experiences on both ends of the spectrum. Why were you chosen, because I'm such a big fan of the show, why were you chosen as the elder voice, as the narrator, the elder voice of uh, Ted Mosby, which is obviously played by Josh Radner, in How I Met Your Mother? Because it's very interesting to me that they would pick someone else besides Josh to narrate it, even though it's him and his life talking. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain about how they confronted you to uh, portray that and what your overall stance was on actually being the, again, elder voice of Josh Radner in a sense. Well, uh, I was uh, I was friends with the exec, one of the exec producers, Pam Fryman, and I got a phone call from her and I was doing an off-Broadway play in New York and she said, would you like to voice this show? And I read the script, How I Met Your Mother, the pilot, and I said, well, why don't you have him doing it? And she said, we wanted to have an older feel. I said, well, you wanted to sound like cigars and alcohol? Because, right. man. And um, she said, kind of, but we wanted to sound like a familiar voice, a fatherly voice. And so that's how it happened. <laughs> and um, Josh, Josh and I are good friends, and we've talked about it. Actually, on the box set um, of the DVDs of How I Met Your Mother, the very last episode that on CBS Josh Radner narrated on the box set is an alternate version where I do narrate the last episode. Oh, wow. So I got to say, and kids, that's the story of how I met your mother. Yeah. Um, I say it so solemnly because it was a sad ending. It didn't upset me. I was, I'll talk about it more if I want, but it was uh, actually emotional and wonderful. And it was a wonderful show, and I was proud to be a silent part of it with an amazing cast and brilliant uh, I mean, you get to, again, work and collaborate with all of these different people, whether it is Full House doing that for as long as you did with those guys, you know, building those relationships and those friendships, and then obviously How I Met Your Mother as well. I mean, you probably miss all of that at this point. Again, like doing this live stream tonight, interacting with some of your fans, and at the same time actually getting to do something with a platform. Because you haven't done much over the past year, have you? I know you did, you did The Masked Singer, right? You, you dressed up as the squiggly monster, as the Masked Singer. And it was weird, man, because I was doing, you know, it was COVID. So it was the first thing I did. I They had asked me to be on The Masked Singer before, and I'm friends with Ken Jong, and I've known Robin Thicke a long time. I was friends with his dad. May he rest in peace, Alan yeah. Thicke. And they said, they asked me for years, Do you, since it started, do you want to be on it? Um, and I said, no, I'm, I'm good. And um, then after about six months of quarantine, uh, I got a, a call from the producer, Craig Plestis, and he said, do you want to be on this? I said, yes. It was like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I clipped him. I wouldn't let him finish the sentence or the question. And I had a really good time, but they wouldn't let me see anybody. I was like, who's Broccoli? Because yeah. Broccoli started to piss me off. And then I didn't realize it was a competition. So it, the Masked Singer, you wear this, I had a diving belt, a diving helmet, not diving belt, that would have been heavier, diving helmet kind of thing on my head and it hurt like hell so i'm trying to walk i can't see anything and i sang i sang for real right that doesn't look good don't use that image i had the mic up to the the mesh but um and then when they took the head off when i got kicked off the show when they yelled take it off take it off and i wanted to pull my pants down but <laughs> and they, that could have happened by the way because the pants come off easy but the upper half yeah. is incredibly heavy um Anyway, um, so he, here's the deal. 
I, I didn't know that I was going to see the other characters. So here I am with with jellyfish and all these weird lips and all these no lips had already gotten kicked off. And I'm, I'm looking, and it, it looked like the Star Wars bar. Right. It looked like a lineup that I was <laughs> right. in with freaks. And then I never got to see anybody, and I was wondering who they were. Broccoli was Paul Anka, so I don't know. I could have kicked his butt. I think I should have got a third song. It was uh, Folsom Prison would have been my third song by Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. They would have kicked me off. Oh, yeah. But anyway, I enjoyed doing it. Um, nobody asked. They definitely had to take you out of your comfort zone considering the previous roles that you played. Because, again, you are one of those unique guys in a unique position where, you, like, yeah, you're a dirty comic who's also portrayed as this squeaky clean dad in, in the eyes of most viewers who see you on television, in film. When did Full House start? In, in the 90s, the 80s? I think it was late 80s, right? And then, like you said, like you have that clean-cut persona and at the same time, you're a, a comic who's willing to go off the rails. I was on another show on CBS uh, called The Morning Program, and I was on it for five months. It's on. It was on against Good Morning America and The Today Show, mm-hmm. and I got fired because oh, wow. they said I was too hot for morning TV. And the host of one of the hosts of the show, Marriott Hartley, very nice person, actress person, nice person, said, "Bob, are you a Type A personality?" And I said, yes, but I'm trying to work on my anus. And I meant A-ness, but it's, yep. I said anus. And she said, go to your room. And they sent me to my room, which is nothing. It wasn't a real room, but it was a set. And I went up the stairs, and I waited there for 15 minutes until the commercial break. And then I knew that I was not going to be there anymore. So uh, then my manager called Jeff Franklin, the creator of Full House, who said he wanted me to begin with. And they... Flew me to L.A. while I was there doing this other show, The Morning Program, and I did a screen test with Dave, who was my friend for 10 years before, and John Stamos, who was my husband, and uh, that's it. I ended up uh, doing the show for a very long time, and it didn't do well. Yeah, I heard that. It took a while, like nearly four or five years before it to actually get going. Of course, like you and Stamos being the stars of that show as the adult figures in that show, because, again, you came into it as a quote-unquote dirty comic. Like, you were not the squeaky clean guy that everybody kind of sees you now, at least, again, from the, the film side of things. When did you, you know, how old were you when you started comedy, or like, how old were you when you realized that that's what you wanted to pursue because again to be able to go from where you are from a stand-up standpoint and a film standpoint it, it's again unheard of like you are definitely a rare breed in the sense of going from uh, someone who tells inappropriate jokes to being again this clean-cut guy on 17. tv i started at 17 years old and i won a radio contest in philly at wmmr radio and I won $500, and I sang a song about bondage. Mm-hmm. That's what I did, a 17-year-old singing a song about bondage. Something's wrong with that kid. And I used to also take my guitar. I did all guitar music on parodies and comedy songs because I loved Martin Mull and other comedy musicians. And I've been playing guitar since I was 11. I used to take the train to New York and wait in line 14 hours, sign the sheet on, on uh, open mic nights at the Improv in New York, Catch a Rising Star in New York. And and um, it was pretty amazing. I'll, I'll never forget it. And I'm glad I, I came up the hard way, you know, living at home with my parents, making student films, and then taking a train to go do comedy and wait in line forever. That's kind of 
I, wisdom comes through suffering. Oh, yeah. I think a philosopher said that who died a very violent death. No, no, I, I say that all the time. I mean, I, I my listeners who listen hear that frequently as well. I, I totally believe that uh, the best moments in life come from those learning experiences and those really hardship times. And I'm sure you've had a, a ton of those experiences as well coming up, whether it was in film or stand-up, where, again, like, you have to tell jokes, and if they don't work, those are some pretty awkward, weird, and hard times. You were also on Broadway, right? I'm sure that had to be a very big learning curve for you, having to do all of that on stage with an audience. Well, I'll tell you, it was The Drowsy Chaperone. Now, this is a play that Bob Martin wrote and starred in, and he's brilliant. He just wrote a movie. I'm trying to think of what movie it is. Bob Martin, he's so brilliant. He had written a show in Canada called Slings and Arrows, a TV show. Right. And The Drowsy Chaperone, if you ever get a chance to see it, um, who became a dear friend of mine is the uh, producer, Kevin McCollum, and another big producer of the show is Bob Boyette, who I'd been friends with for a long time because he was also one of the exec producers of Full House. And along with Tom Miller, they produced shows like Mork and Mindy and Vernon Shirley and Happy Days. And and Bosom Buddies is how I met him, because that was Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari, and I was the warm-up comic on there. So then cut to, as some people say, which is really annoying. Um, Here I am on Broadway, the second biggest theater, the marquee. And I'd already done an off-Broadway play, which is the one I was doing called Privilege by Paul Weitz, who wrote about a boy and did... directed and wrote in good company remember that movie with topher grace and scarlett johansson dennis quaid as well in that movie uh yeah i mean that's so interesting to hear you kind of trying to go out of your comfort zone to pursue all of these different things again whether it's film stand-up broadway uh being on the masked singer during covid times i mean i'm sure you talked a lot about it in dirty daddy your book and i know a lot of people will see that and think like yeah he's uh the american dad he's the the stand-up comic but at the same time you tell a lot of personal stories in that book as well what, what are some of the specific things that you tell in dirty daddy the byline underneath it was uh i believe it was chronicles of a family man turned filthy comedian i think i would change the title completely at this point but i'm really proud of it it's it's not a curse book it does have a stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. When I first did the book tour, I was at the 92nd Street Y in New York City, and John Oliver uh, interviewed the, interviewed me for the talk back. You do a thing back and forth when you're going on a book tour. And it was right before uh, this week tonight, last week tonight. And he has such a brilliant free associative mind. I had like three pages on worrying about getting old and I don't know, I'd have leakage and it would be coming out of my, you know, my Mm -hmm. penis. And then I would slip on it and fall down the stairs. And it was three pages of that. And then there'd be a chapter about how I lost two sisters. And so I talk about a lot of loss in my life and then how to find humor. And that's kind of, I think what I got from my dad was a gift of not walking around going, why me? Why, why? Why did this happen to me? And instead have an attitude of how can I get through this and help others through it? Because loss is so difficult. And to find humor, not just gallows humor, you know, not just a sick joke, mm-hmm. but to somehow 
it's hard to explain, but it, it's when something breaks the ice and you can get a smile out of someone who's going through the worst time in their life. And it could be with a fart joke. It can be with something that's not totally crude, but it's in the book Dirty Daddy, which was a New York Times bestseller. I don't know who got paid off. <laughs> no, but that, that that's so true, man. I mean, you've obviously displayed that through uh, whether it's stand-up and, again, Full House, which is, I think, a lot of people know you for Danny Tanner, obviously. Uh, but, you know, there's so many things, like you said, just little things that in order to make people laugh to, again, kind of change their mindset, go about their day in a totally different um perspective you did another uh, comedy special right on hbo as well uh while we're at it when we're talking about comedy you did a, an hbo special that ain't right and that was a special that i got a lot of shit for because it it's it was very highly rated whatever they say and it got uh, either rave reviews or terrible reviews but that doesn't matter you do what you think is funny and uh, that was around the time that a lot of things happened. I'd been on Entourage, and I'd been on, uh, I was in The Aristocrats. A lot of stuff had happened. And I just came out of the gate, and it was an R-rated special. People think I'm X-rated. I've never been X-rated, ever. I don't talk about things gynecological. Um, I, I do when I go to the gynecologist, because I'm trying to make a choice in my life right now. God, can I cancel myself? Anyway, so uh, HBO, I did a special with them. That ain't right. And I shot it um, at the Skirball Center, uh, Skirball Theater in New York City um, at NYU. So the audience was 21 years old. So uh, there were a lot of F-bombs in it. I mean, if you counted the times I said that word, you'd be oh, yeah. in a drinking game. You would, would not get up. But I, I love doing that special, and um, it still runs, and people still like it. I watch it, I go, whoa, I don't think I'd say that now. But then again, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do when I do my new special, when I get back to doing a new tour, mm -hmm. as a lot of us comedians are dying. I mean, I'm sure you guys are dying to get back, you know, you know, in that room together and, and crank out some material. I mean, being friends with people, you know, that you've worked with for so many years, whether it's comics, actors alike, you know, like you're in Full House, you did Fuller House recently as well. Uh, you know, you're in the Entourage episodes as well. You know, what, what's it like being friends with people? that you've worked with for so many years and, you know, maintaining some of those friendships while others have kind of been tossed aside. But again, like, how is that um, for you and how have you been able to maintain those friendships over the years? Whatever shows I've been on and, and know people from, I, I stay friends with them. Um, except for a couple pilots that I wanted to stay friends with people. But, you know, it's it's weird because you don't, it's not like high school. I don't have many friends from high school, but I moved a lot. No, I'm absolutely the same way. I, I stayed in touch with nobody from high school. I mean, an occasional text message every now and then, but I, I've lost touch with all of those people. At the end of the day, you're going to find the people that you mesh well with, and obviously you found those uh, people, you know, outside of the industry, but inside the industry for, for everybody to see from a public standpoint. Obviously, you and Stamos uh, together on television was gold for so many years. You guys still get together and play music together, I know. You actually won a grant, or you were nominated, excuse me, for a Grammy album uh, back in the day, right? It was, that's what I'm talking about, because after you do a special call, that ain't right. What's your next one called? That's what I'm talking about, with an apostrophe after the end. And uh, I'm really proud of that uh, special. I shot it at the Moore Theater in Seattle, and I was um, up against uh, some really, really talented people. And Kathy Griffin actually won for Best Comedy Album. 
And uh, I thought Tig Notaro was going to win because she's so special. And um, I'm trying to think who else was in that category. Might have been Patton Oswald, who's up again, I believe, this year. He's up pretty much every year because he's so prolific and been brilliant. I, I mean, I've always found it so fascinating, you know, guys in, in your world who are able to come up with this stuff, whether it's, you know, long-term, short-term, you think of it right off the top of your head, or it takes you months, even years to come up with a certain material that just is so ironic and funny, and it, it makes people think, like, in the moment, just like, yeah, he's so right. And you see that today with comics, you know, whether it's on Netflix or you go out to a show, obviously we haven't been able to, but, you know, in the past, you know, comics whether again you're on Netflix online talking about real life experiences that are ironic and real at the same time I feel like it's going to be a lot harder moving forward you know because again you were talking about it earlier on the stream as well as here uh, about you know cancel culture and people you know taking offense to a lot of things but you know do you feel like uh, the comics today whether you know it is the Bill Burrs or the Chappelle's or the Chris Rocks of the world uh, do you think that they're going to be as well as you you know like because again you, you're you're a comic who's not afraid to give his opinions on things in in the way that you give them. Do you think it's going to be easier or harder? And have you enjoyed uh, the specials that have come out over the past year, given everything that's been going on? Don't you love the comics online? I feel so much better when I'm watching comedy being done during this time. You just deflect and you go to it, and all of a sudden on your phone you got Sebastian or Jim Gaffigan or oh, yeah. Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock or people that you love, whoever you love, whoever makes you laugh. And that's what we need to do right now because it's hard because a lot of stuff is parody of the remains of the day. And the remain the remains are just horrible. It's just people calling each other crap. And it's like a, a roast, but it's not funny. It's like, if you're going to make fun of somebody, you don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going man <laughs> to mention, you know, going to Cancun. I'm not going to mention, you know, uh, taking off your masks. I mean, some people should sure. wear them all the time. We know what some of you look like. <laughs> I should wear a mask. I don't look that good. I look okay. I mean, I'm going to be 65. And uh, my ex-wife actually emailed me and said, you need to file for Medicare. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I'm living to like 110 because I got to make all you kids. I got to educate you. Yeah. I actually feel a responsibility. Sometimes I'll get introduced somewhere and they'll say, America's favorite dad i was one time at the comedy store in la and i wanted to go on and it was late and sometimes guests drop in and this is about a year and a half ago maybe a little more but before quarantine before COVID. Mm -hmm, right wow man right and so uh, when i say man i mean everybody yep right man no right right everybody so what happened was uh i called and it's like 12 30 and i said i want to come in and they said oh chris rock's going up and i went wow okay so he's going to bring me up and they said yeah and i went cool so i go there and he's you know crushing and doing some great stuff because he's brilliant right and then he introduces me and he goes ladies and gentlemen he raised us all he's america's dad and it was like such an honor <laughs> because i didn't know i raised chris i'm really proud i wouldn't I'd want to get a cut you know um, and he brought me up on stage, and I got to hug him because he's like my son after he says I'm like yeah. dad. And I got a standing ovation, and they weren't leaving because Dave Chappelle stayed, and he sat at the piano because he'd gone on and done 45 oh, yeah. at 1.30 in the morning. 
And that's when when businesses come back, when everything is coming back in the months ahead, because we're all going to get vaccined. I'm going to get, I got the shot, I got the first shot in my penis, and the second one's going to be in my butt. <laughs> so that way I'm balanced and I don't fall. Right, yeah. Because otherwise I'll be like a weeble. I don't know if you know what they are. They wobble, but they don't fall down. It's an old thing. You wouldn't know. But it's like those things you punch and they come back. Okay. You know, your kids. No, I don't hit my kids. <laughs> I hit one, one of my kids. And um, she was like three, and I made a mistake, but she pooped in the pool, and I got mad. Yeah, and I guess I that. Her. And, uh, but she wasn't done pooping, mm. so the joke was on me and on my hand. It Ooh. was disgusting. Yeah. She reminds me to this day, and uh, I love all my kids equally. I, I, my favorite is whoever I'm with at that moment. So there I guess go. the punchline to what I'm getting to is uh, non-existent, but I do love the responsibility of having been a dad on those shows. Some people go, oh, what, what, why are you dirty? Why is your... Because right, right. Danny Tanner was a character, uh -huh. right? But people don't know that. And they go, why don't you act like Danny Tanner? And it's like, well, Anthony Hopkins was, you know, Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Right. That's not what he's like in real life. You know, he, he doesn't eat people. Um, I actually said that once to Conan O'Brien, and he said, no, he does. That Anthony <laughs> Hopkins eats people. But um, anyway, so I love being a father and I love portraying a good dad but I also love doing stand up and oh, I yeah. get out and do it again and I try not to write dirty stuff um, but sometimes it just I can't help it the oh, stuff yeah. I've been coming up in fact I'll read a joke that I just wrote down the other day nice to give you an idea I got the, uh, the iPhone yeah. and I, got a, I write down my list of jokes on it right so that's how I roll through life the last thing I wrote down is going to be inappropriate because I just can't help but think of things there's a lot of stuff there's a, this is people want to know how you how you do uh, comedy it's just like well you can't see it right. that's great let me make it brighter okay um <laughs> I can't say any of this. Oh, I I, I can't say any of this. <laughs> I, I okay. I'll say something. Thank God. Um, that a friend of mine. This is not appropriate. A friend of mine said, "When you have sex, you you got to use lube." And I said, "You know, I haven't had sex in a while, so when I do." I start crying, and I found out that tears make a really good loop. So you can weep on, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you anything else I wrote down, but you'll see it in the next stand-up special or on the road, and then I'll cut that one. I'm really uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, that's awesome, and, and, and thanks so much for taking time uh, out of the night after this stream. Uh, again, uh, Bob Saget with us here. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of, you know, your, your quarantine. I know you're itching to get back in the game. Your new movie coming out as well that you guys are going to be filming out in L.A. soon, so I wish you the best of luck, man. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I can't wait till everybody can come back and interact. It'll be a blast, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much, man. Thanks so much, Bob. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Shitty is tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.